0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Steve Nunez to our show. Dr. Nunez is the president of Pennsylvania Highlands Community College in Johnson, Pennsylvania. Hi, Steve. Glad to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: Can you talk about Pennsylvania Highlands Community College and why students select your institution?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, uh, you know, I, I, we, we may get into this a little bit later, but, you know, I, I gravitated to this institution. I, I applied here, obviously, intentionally uh, because it reminded me a lot of where I grew up in, in Southwest Virginia. And I went to a small rural community college, Southwest Virginia Community College, where I got a heck of an education. And, and uh, so, uh, Pennsylvania Highlands Community College reminds me a lot of of home. It reminds me a lot of uh, Southwest Virginia Community College. And so, it's a it's a small rural community college. We serve uh, four counties plus a little bit more. Uh, and we, you know, we have a couple of urbanish areas. We we have Johnstown, which is about twenty thousand people. We have Altoona, which is about forty thousand people. But But mostly uh, we're, uh, you know, relatively small counties with the population spread out relatively evenly across those four counties. So it it certainly brings its own challenge. Uh, We're, you know, if you think about us demographically, uh, I think we're similar to a lot of rural counties that, first of all, we're we're mostly white. Uh, So there's, you know, I would say, by far the majority of our students are are white. 60% of them, thereabouts, come to us because they're looking to earn a bachelor's degree and we're we're the the pathway for them to do that. Uh, And then about 40% of our students come to us because they want to move into a a, a trade. They're looking for a a quick credential, whether it's a semester or two years before before they run off and and get a, a relatively good job. Um, So those are our students generally. I would say that the only other uh, characteristic that I would apply, because I think it's important for community colleges, uh, and this is, by the way, this is true for all of us in the community college world, is that uh, a lot of our students are um, low income, first generation, and uh, not necessarily academically prepared for the college environment. And um, I, I don't say that. In a negative way, I say that that's part of our mission as a community college. I'm very proud of that, actually. And, and that's what we do is we work with those students and we work with them very successfully.
0: So so what kind of um, programs are there that uh, seem to attract your students to come in? I, I understand the transferability, but what's what's your trades and industry programs or your health
1: programs? So, again, you know, we, we understand the transfer part. You know, one of the one of the unique things about uh, Pennsylvania that, that I'm still getting a grip on, uh, just to be totally honest is is uh, where community college where the community college niche is mm. and when when I was in Illinois I, so I spent nearly 24 years uh, in in Illinois at a community college there uh, it, they were very defined we had defined borders <laughs> you know we weren't we very rarely competed with one another um, we, uh, we if there was a workforce education needs the community college was, the answer to to those needs and and in Pennsylvania it's just a complex environment and so there's there's many sources of education for adults in Pennsylvania and we compete with one another and and honestly if if we all tried to run the same programs we'd all go out of business because right. it's just it's just not possible for us to run expensive programs with a few students in them so I think one of the things, one of the challenges that we have here at Pennsylvania Island Community College is really figuring out an educational niche that helps our community, that builds our enrollment, right? And something that we can afford. Uh, and, and we're doing that slowly. And, and we can talk more about that later if you like, about how, how we expect to move forward with that. But, but A, uh, I'm a big believer in collaboration and partnerships. So why not work with the career technical centers that are local? And, and work with transfer agreements that they have. So if they wanna do a one-year program with adults, we can do the second year and get them an associate's degree. So why not uh, extend that? Um, certainly uh, there, there are other sort of for-profit models or grant-funded models uh, programs that, that we can work with more closely. So again, we're really working hard for, uh, to build partnerships and collaborations to expand what that niche uh, will be for us, uh, and to identify what that niche is for us, I should say, to clarify. Uh, so right now I, I think we're we're pretty good with criminal justice uh, we have some some health programs we, we do not have nursing here because nursing is prolific in our area and so it's being taught in a number of, of other places in four-year universities private schools, public schools hospitals it's being taught in a lot of places there but uh, things like, um, medical coding, for instance, and nurse assistance. And so we, we, we certainly have programs in that that are, that are very successful for us.
0: Yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir, I right? I believe in collaboration and, and why reinvent the wheel and have, and have students being able to walk right into your institution, help with associates and stuff, so.
1: I, you know, Dave, I think there might've been a time <laughs> uh, where uh, if someone said build the program, community colleges said, okay, we'll do it, right? And they buckle down and figure out a way uh, we, we really, I think all of us recognize the challenge now of doing that without partnerships and collaborations. So if, we, if we're going to build a new trade program, well, what, uh, what industries and businesses can support us so that we can build that program and produce highly qualified future employees for that business? There has to be a synergy there. They have to help us so we can help them. And, uh, you know, I believe, obviously, in workforce development, and and but we can't do it alone. We, we really need to have those partnerships and collaborations with business and industry.
0: So what's new at Pennsylvania Highlands for 2021-2022?
1: Well, uh, so this is my, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit into my second year. So I guess I'm one year and a couple months uh, into my, into my, uh, and second year at Pennsylvania Highlands Community College, and it's it's been a fun ride. And, and I say that despite the challenges of COVID that we've all been through, and I'm sure you don't want to rehash all of the challenges <laughs> that COVID has brought to higher education and to community colleges, so I will not. Um, but but I, I think in a lot of ways, what COVID has done is allowed us to accelerate some of the things that might have taken a, a, a little longer to work through. Uh, certainly the way that we look at higher education has changed. Uh, we serve a very large geographic region, and it's just not possible for us to um, offer in-person classes throughout all four counties in a robust way. Because if you have a a, a class in one county with, with a small population and you have three students in it and you're paying an instructor, you're losing money. And, uh, uh, you know, I might get some pushback on this, but we are business, we have, to, we have to balance the books. And so there is always that balance of offering the right uh, uh, you know, level of classes to our community, but also making sure that we can offer them next year because we, we have uh, enough of the financial background there. So well, you know, one of the things is, is that we, we've really maximized the use of technology so that we can offer more classes to those rural areas. Uh, and and so for instance right we call it synchronous learning here Mm -hmm. we can offer a class at 12 o'clock and broadcast it out to our communities and students can take that take that class either by going to one of our educational centers and using the computers there or just logging on straight straight at home Uh, so so i think you know that's i don't think that's surprising i think a lot of community colleges are probably uh, leveraging that technology, it's really important for us, though, in the rural community to do that, and I think we're going to better serve our communities. Um, I think I think the big one, though, that I'm really excited about is is that uh, again we're we're in our 26th year. We had all of these plans for a 25th year anniversary last year that were <laughs> all canceled. <laughs> so so uh, we're we're thinking about having a uh, 25th ish. Uh, anniversary celebration this year, uh, just to sort of play off of the 25th year. But um, we, we, have, we were known initially, and we have been known for decades now, as the, the college with no walls. And uh, that, that was meant in a loving way, but we have leased every facility that we've ever been in. Uh, and that includes our current situation. Uh, and we've been a, a little bit like nomads, right? We've been moving from place to place, trying to find our home. And so somewhere 10, 14 years ago, we, we started leasing a building in uh, Cambria County in the, the Richland area. And, and uh, we're, we're really happy and content with it, but it was a lease. And we had the opportunity to purchase that building. And uh, we are uh, ecstatic that the, the board... Uh, that the selling board is open to selling it to us, and uh, the Pennsylvania Highlands Community College board is receptive to buying it. So negotiations are now complete, and we're just securing financing. But we're we're going to purchase our new building, and uh, that's not a big deal to maybe to a lot of folks, but it's a huge deal to Pennsylvania Highlands Community For sure. College. Yeah, sure, yeah, and we're we're very excited to move through the phase of a college with no walls, uh, and have that in our past.
0: Well, that that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of work, still a lot of work, still a lot of work. Uh, I, also, I also believe uh, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of athletics, and I know in times of tight budgets, uh, you know, athletics tends to be looked at pretty closely, uh, but um, I believe it's a, it's a great way to recruit students, and I, I think it's a great way to retain students, and all the statistics bear that out, that they do better in a, in, uh, when they're on an athletic team, their retention is higher, their grades are higher, their completion rates are higher.
0: Since you mentioned you're just a little over a year, that was one of the things that intrigued me, and that's why I wanted you to be a guest on our podcast. Is that first year experience as a community? Not my bubbly
1: personality, Dave. Come
0: on. So, so can you talk a little bit about yourself and how you became the president of Pennsylvania Highlands?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves? So I'll 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 spend the next forty five minutes giving you a PowerPoint presentation here, Dave. I'm going to use the word unintentional as my path. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what young uh, young man, young woman wakes up, you know, when they're a teenager and thinks, you know, I'm going to be a president of a community college. Uh, I know that there there are there are folks, and I've known them, that have been very intentional about their path, uh, about their profession, because they have a goal of being president. Uh, until about two years ago, that was not my goal. I, that I It was not on my radar, Um, and part of that was, I I would say, confidence, right? That, you you know, being a president of an organization seems pretty intimidating, Uh, and I just wasn't, I think, emotionally uh, ready for that kind of commitment. Um, But I I tell you what, this is is where a lot of our journeys begin. I'd say all of our journeys begin, is that uh, family, friends, and mentors in your journey and I've had a I've had a 25 year journey in higher education. Uh, they are so important in your growth and development. Uh, and and uh, again, if we have another podcast sometime, we can just talk about the powers of mentors and and what they mean. But I've had some great mentors and some great friends and obviously family that have supported and encouraged me along the way. And and I wouldn't be in this position today without them. And and again, I, I just can't. I can't oversell that because it's just so true. And um, my, my previous boss, the, the president at Sauk Valley Community College, Dr. David Helmick, uh, I think was instrumental in providing that um, encouragement and that, that growth opportunity for me. So to, to go all the way back to the beginning, and I'll move very quickly through all of this, I, I'm a product of a community college. I, as I've already mentioned, I went to Southwest Virginia Community College. My, my father was a founding member of uh, Southwest Virginia Community College. So I grew up in a community college household and I loved it. It was comfortable to me. And as a student, it set me up for success. It allowed me to mature and to sort of get through an awkward stage in my life. And uh, I think as importantly, recognize that I could do college level work because I was not convinced that I could. And uh, after that that time at, at a community college, I ended up getting a couple more degrees at Virginia Tech and uh, I eventually was hired at Sauk Valley Community College as an instructor, and I was there for 15 years, and I, I loved teaching. I, I, what I loved most about it was just the connection that I had with students and, re, and recognizing that I could, I could help, you know, improve and, and change their lives, and most of my students went through my anatomy and microbiology classes where they became nurses or went into the rad tech program, and so I got to see right away, right, that in some cases, they were making more money than me after they, after they graduated from Salt Valley Community College. And I, and I helped them uh, along, along that journey in their journey. Uh, and it's just empowering, right? Because I think we both would agree that education is a, a terrific way to improve and change people's lives and the entire destiny of families, right? By empowering them and, and raising them out of poverty. And so I got to see that firsthand as an instructor. Uh, but after 15 years, uh, at, at Sauk Valley, I was, I was given the opportunity to, to move into administration and serve as a cabinet member to the president. And scope changes right away, right? As an instructor, you're very focused on your classroom, you're very focused on your teaching, you're very focused on, on learning and students. And um, uh, all of these other things are just really annoyances because I am focused on my students and why doesn't everybody else have the same focus on my students right. that, that, that I do? But then when you move into the, the higher administration level, you have to broaden your scope and, and see uh, uh, the, not only the, the strengths that an institution has, but its challenges. And I loved it, I loved it. And I think one of the things that I'm good at is problem solving and critical thinking. And I, and I got to really put that to use. And uh, so I really enjoyed that. And uh, I think if you, if you do a good job and you're, community, you're committed to the mission of an institution, you will have opportunities to grow and to advance. And so, again, very quickly over the next, uh, I think, eight years, somewhere in there, I did a lot of things. I supervised a lot of departments from marketing to recruiting to information technology to uh, customized training to community education to small business development center um, to strategic planning to marketing. uh, And then my last job was overseeing both student services and uh, the academic areas. So, in those eight years as an administrator at Sauk Valley, uh, I grew the confidence to, to think that I had the skill sets that were necessary to be a president somewhere because I knew, I knew what was going on in the building, right? I had a lot of, a lot of experiences. And um, over those eight years, my, my leadership experience obviously, uh, my leadership ability uh, grew by leaps and bounds. So where I started to where I ended, I think was very much different. So again, with the encouragement of my mentor and friends and family, uh, I began to apply for some president's jobs, and, and this was a perfect fit for me. And, and I'm glad they picked me.
0: Yes, everybody needs a mentor. Uh, oh my gosh. You can so take important. all, you can take all the classes you want to help with leadership, but it's not, it seems like the mentor is the one that really helps you make that jump.
1: And I was I was thinking about this yesterday, Dave. It, it's. Sometimes it's not, you know. I think sometimes when people think about mentors, they think, "Okay, let's go have coffee and talk about leadership." Or, talk. It, it can be that, but a lot of times it's just modeling, right? And uh, so, you know, we when when, when Dr. Helmick came to the institution, uh, he he had a different style of leadership, and and I just I was like, "Wow, this is <laughs> really cool." And I and I think that the way I lead is directly attributable to to him. And of course, it fits sort of my my own personality and, and my own uh, morals. I think in a lot of ways, so it was a natural fit for me. But I learned that from him. It was it's just terrific.
0: So, let's talk about um, your year one. Um, um, what was that like? You know, what were your major areas of focus in that first year? <laughs> um, I'm laughing
1: because it, it's so overwhelming, right? And so for me, and by the way, I'm not looking for any sympathy here, but for me, um, I, was, I was supposed to take, when I was offered the job, initially it was supposed to start in July. Uh, and for various reasons, uh, we, we increased the, uh, the uh, starting point to, to January. So uh, by the time I was offered the job, by the time I transitioned to Penn Highlands it was just, I think six weeks. So it was it was a it was a crazy time. And I you know my a lot of my family is still in Illinois. Uh, I had to pack up. I had to get out of the lease. I had, you know, there was there was just craziness. And, and looking back, um, it was a blessing because I didn't have time to, to worry about the job because I was just worried about finding a place to live. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, so, you know, when I landed in the job, uh, I had. Uh, it took me a while to get up to speed, uh, but uh, I was fully embraced by the institution. And uh, that's one of the reasons I was really attracted to the job is that, is that I really, I just liked the people and it, I liked the culture there. And so I was fully embraced, but, but my strategy is pretty simple. Um, you know, I think, I think I was even asked, you know, where do you think the college is gonna be in five years uh, as a question when I was being interviewed. And I was very honest. I have no idea. Uh, you know, I have no idea. Uh, but, but, but let me tell you how I think we're gonna get there is that we're gonna do it together. I mean, we're not gonna do it. I'm not gonna make all the decisions about where we're going as an institution. I said, we're gonna do this together. And I think that was a relief to people because uh, there, there probably are some leadership styles that come in and they just dictate how everything's gonna go. Uh, I, I truly believe in the power of teamwork and of good teams. Um, sometimes it's a bit deliberative and long-winded but damn it you get a good product and you get a lot of buy-in you know and and what I recognize is that people want to have a voice and, and, and again that shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, I think I think if you work in some business and industry maybe it doesn't work like that but in education it does and and people want to have a voice and they have when they have a voice they have higher morale they have higher job satisfaction they work harder for you. Um, And so I really went in with some very simple ideas. Listen, listen some more, and listen some more, right? And I did that by having a a very full schedule of many meetings. So I met with every board of trustee, and I have 15 plus a student trustee, and I met with all of them individually. Um, So that was one to two hour meetings for each one of those folks. Uh, I... I had a direct member, uh, you know, my direct reports met with me very often, right, to talk about issues. Uh, And then I opened it up to 30-minute meetings for any employee that wanted to meet with me, part-time, full-time, part-time faculty, didn't matter. If you wanted to meet with me, let's talk. And I I gave them some very simple prompts. And so they could use them or not use them. And I always reassured them that the conversation is just between us and I'm not writing all this down and taking it to your boss, right, because I just want to hear truth. And I learned a lot about the institution and I learned about what's great about us and I learned some challenges that we had. And so that listening part, it, you know, again, that might seem trivial to a lot of folks, it's not trivial and it wasn't trivial to me and it wasn't trivial to, that institute, to our institution. So just really listening initially was very important to me. Um, I got some good advice, uh, you know, when I took the job. Uh, the, one of the pieces of advice is you wanna make change it's just natural. You're, uh, you're a senior leader. You're used to sort of making change and driving change, but listen, take a deep breath and be patient in the changes that you make. Um, and so there were just times where I just had to put my foot on the brake and, and just slow the roll a bit because I felt like I was pushing a little bit too hard. Uh, did I have to make some changes early on? Yeah, I did, um, but, but not as many as you would think. And I was very careful about that. And I would say that, you know, some people may say you need to take six months or a year. I think it depends on the issue and depends on you know how pressing it is. But I would say I didn't start making most major changes until four or five, six months through. And again, that's continuous, right? That's not something that stops after six months. So uh, I was very, very patient. That was a direction of mine. Uh, but um, I, you know, going back to sort of teamwork my leadership is all about building relationships. And and there was a time when I, I heard from somewhere that, you know, you shouldn't get too close to your direct reports. You shouldn't be friends with your direct reports. Never go out and have a drink with your direct reports. You hear all this stuff. And, and I used to hear, you know, being a president or being a senior senior leader is so isolating. You know, have no one to talk to. And it makes it sound horrible, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to be that guy? Yeah. And, and it's not <laughs> me. So um, recognizing that uh, building a, a relationship with a coworker is important uh, because they're open and honest with you and you can be open and honest with them, I think is very, very important. With, you know, being able to recognize that, you know, if you have to, you have to discipline somebody or worse, right? I mean, that's your job. You still have to do your job. But, but it was really important for me to develop good relationships with my folks. Uh, and then once, once you build those, that relationship, that trusting relationship with folks, a lot of things fall together. And um, so I really wanted to be patient. I wanted to listen. And I wanted to build a really strong team. And I wanted to build a team that could believe in each other, that could be open and honest with each, with each other uh, without walking away having their feelings hurt. Because we should all be able to talk about the issues and not get our feelings hurt. And I think it took us a little bit of time to get there. You know, I'm the new guy, and they're probably a little nervous around me. But but I, I was just thinking this morning, I had, we had a terrific cabinet meeting this morning. Um, at least I thought it was terrific. I don't know if they thought it was terrific, but I thought it was terrific. And it was very deliberative, and we got a lot of work done, and we're very thoughtful. And it was just awesome. It, was, it just felt really good. So I think that, that seems kind of silly, but those were the things that I focused on
0: um that's that's interesting i i i totally agree with you i think uh sometimes uh that separation you know as faculty or even as a department chair you still were working so much with your own faculty to build relationships and of course people forget that's where a lot of conversations and decisions yeah. are made is when you talk those casual conversations so that's an excellent point um, what, is, what has been some of the biggest lessons learned so far as president? And then, of course, this is a twofer question. And uh, what advice can you give new community college presidents? What advice do you wish you would have gotten when you first got there? Well,
1: uh, I'm not saying I didn't get it. Uh, the uh, I, I got a lot of advice, but you know, when you accept a new job, it's a bit overwhelming and there are a lot of challenges and your head spinning a bit. So sometimes you just sort of, uh, you, you find yourself falling a bit without uh, remembering the advice that you were given or acting on the advice that you were given. So uh, certainly, certainly I won't say that I didn't hear it because I probably did, but, but here's some things. First of all, um, I, I sometimes say this, you know, I recognize that, you know, I look at my team, I recognize that you have a boss and I'm your boss, but, but, but I have 16 of them. And I, I have to talk to them all, I have to deliberate with them all and I have to make them happy to, to, to some degree, right? So I have to get them to work as a unit. So building board relations was really important to me and I, and I worked really hard at that. But while I was building those relationships, I needed more feedback from them about what, what they saw the, co- the direction of the college. So I think going back, I would have probably just asked for more uh, concrete guidance uh, from them. So that so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is is that um, your your board chair um, has got to be you. You have to have a great working relationship with your board chair. And, and I remember uh, it wasn't the first board meeting, but maybe the second. Uh, I went in and said something, and my board chair disagreed with me. And I don't mind. I don't mind people disagreeing with me, but but, but maybe the board meeting is not the time for me to find out that the board chair disagrees with me. <laughs> so so I uh, I I to him later that uh, again, always feel free to disagree with me, but let's let's make sure that we that we we've talked about these issues. By the way, that's totally my fault, it wasn't his fault. Uh, let's make sure that we talk about these things um, before the board meeting. And uh, you know, if if you're an outsider to a board meeting sometimes they look very ceremonial and structured and boring. Damn right, (laughs) that's that's exactly the way I want them to be. And uh, the work should be done behind the scenes and then the board meetings should be essentially ceremonial because a lot of that stuff has already been worked out. So um, again, it's not that we don't want the board to be deliberative because I've got a great board and, and they are, but we also have committees, and they work through things. I also have independent conversations with board members, and we work through things. So um, I think making sure that your relationship with the board chair is really solid and that you're on the same page, I think, is is something that, again, I, I sort of stumbled on a little bit initially, and and uh, have have since rectified uh, for for sure. Um, some other pieces of advice: uh, your board is not your enemy. Yeah, I I. I love my board and they're very diverse. Uh, They are not elected here. They're appointed by the county commissioner mostly. And they, so they come with very diverse backgrounds. So I have, I have bankers, I have folks that do uh, adult uh, educational training. I have uh, someone who is a chief academic officer at a university. I've got a former superintendent who's doing a different job now. So I've got a lot of talent, right? And I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of sort of diverse experiences and, I think initially I was a little intimidated by that. And now I'm like, I'm so happy that they're there because you know, I've told them all the time, I need your support and your mentorship to be successful here. You want the college to be successful. You want me to be successful. I need you. And so I, I leverage them a lot. Uh, so when I, when I am struggling with an issue or just need a different viewpoint, I, I do feel comfortable reaching out and getting uh, some other feedback. But, and, I, and I'm careful, I run a lot of things through the chair first. Uh, but but again, I think just leveraging that that board and uh, you know I recognize that sometimes there can be problematic boards, but uh, for me uh, they've been they've been very solid and, and I'm, I'm very happy about that. Um, and then just just a couple more things. We we recognize that as a new president, uh, it's scary for them, and, and and it's your job not to make it seem so scary, right? And I think one of the ways to do that is to be a human being. So uh, one of the pieces of advice that I got from a very, very good friend, and hopefully this is a PG-13 uh, podcast here, uh, is uh, she says, I'm so happy for you, you know, that you've become, you know, that you've been hired to be the next president. And remember, Steve, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's so important, right? You're just, you know, you may be president, but you're just also a human being and they need to connect to you and they need to feel comfortable around you. They don't need to be scared of you or uncomfortable. And they're the ones, their lives are being upturned a lot and so they just need they need reassurance it's going to be okay
0: yeah there was a couple of people that came to my mind when you said that that i'd like to like to send them that quote (laughs) to say the least um so so in that first year what kind of accomplishments did you have what are you what are you the most proud of
1: uh well, we've, we've we've talked about it already, and again, it's a simple thing. To me, um, it's all about teamwork. It really is. It's all about teamwork and getting getting a diverse group of people and letting them debate and work through issues. Uh, you know, I, I have such a talented uh, group that works with me. Uh, I have to leverage them, and so I'm most proud. Of, I'm, you know, out of out of everything, and we've done a lot of work in a year. We've done a lot of work. Uh, we've had to deal with COVID. We have to do all that, but but when you when you put it down to an essence, it's the essence of of teamwork. It's the essence of leadership that made all that happen. And uh, so I'm most proud that that I've I feel like I've been accepted and integrated here at the institution, and uh, that that I've got a great uh, group of folks that I work with every day.
0: Well, then um, if I wanted to be a a community college president, what what are the qualities that you would hope that I would bring to the table?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, again, one of the things that, uh, again, this seems, a lot of these things seem so basic on so many levels, but were driven home for me when I worked at Sock Valley. Uh, The first thing is, is that I hope you believe in the mission of a community college. Uh, I think sometimes it gets lost. I spent five years being in charge of uh, strategic planning at Salt Valley Community College, and uh, I I helped develop a new mission, uh, and a new vision, and, and new values at the college, and to discuss those things. Um, being mission centered is really important, and so one of the things that you'll see me do a lot, is that whenever I have an opportunity to speak in front of folks, I talk about the mission of the community college, and uh, you know we we have we have our own mission statement, but I often just to simplify it, I often just simplify it to just the statement that that community college, Pennsylvania Highlands Community College is uh, responsible for providing uh, accessible, affordable quality education. And then I go into, you know, why it's important. Like you can't uncouple those things from one another. You can't have uh, an education that's expensive because you lose the accessibility part, right? You, you, can't, you can't have accessibility and affordability and have a terrible product. You, you have to have all of those things. So being very, I think, mission focused, is, is critical to being a president. Uh, second, you have to learn, if you haven't learned it yet, you have to immediately learn to trust your team to do the work. And sometimes they do it differently than you, and that's okay. And, uh, you know, I, I brought a lot of diverse experiences. So I was used to doing certain things in a certain way, and it wasn't being done like I would have done it. And I just had to take a deep breath and say, I trust these people to get this job done, right? So being able to to release the responsibility to to other folks in the building to do the job, I think is very, very important. And to not micromanage them because again, ultimately they respect you more and they're more productive and efficient. So, um, you know, mission-centered, being able to, to trust your team, I think is very important and believing in shared governance. And, and I won't say democratic, democratic processes because it's not really democratic. You know, Ultimately I get recommendations and often have to act on them, but at least folks need to have a voice uh, so that you are well informed to make the best decisions.
0: So it really seems you enjoy being a community college president. What do you enjoy the most about being the president?
1: I get to be the boss. Why, why is that not cool? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I was, and it's, it's a, it's a tough gig to say the least. So it, it can be very tough.
1: You know, here, here's what I like about it is that um, the uh, I do not, maybe I should whisper this. I do not have the hardest job in the building. I just don't. Um, the The hardest job I ever had was when I was the vice president of academics and student services at Valley Community College. Uh, and that's a job where you're overseeing very talented employees with uh, you know, part of education is they have a lot of opinions, right? <laughs> and, and they push you. So they have, you know, you're hearing a lot of opinions from very educated, highly motivated supporters of the community college mission. So your employees are pushing you. Then you hear from students and sometimes you hear from their parents and then you answer to uh, the, to the president, you're just in the mix a lot and uh, you're putting out fires all day and, and it's hard to, uh, you want to feel like you can lead better and really be visionary and you'd often don't have time. You just don't have time because you're just dealing with so much um so this job allows me to do that i i set my own work Uh, of course i get direction from the board but you know it's broad direction and so i set my own work i set my own tempo uh, and i you know i decide what i'm focused on on that particular day and i really have time and it's such a great thing Uh, and I, i appreciate it on a daily basis almost every day i have time to just think and uh, I just didn't have that in my previous job. I, I was just constantly just dealing with things. Here, I really have the time to think and be visionary and think about two weeks from now. And, and I get it because I've lived it. Uh, I, I would love for my team to be able to do that more. They don't have time either, uh, just like I did. not So they do, they do a really good job. Um, but, but it's my responsibility as president to really to lead the organization and be uh, visionary for the organization. And I love it. It's been fun.
0: Yeah. I, I think after you've said that, you know, I was a college Dean and you're a community college president. So I always felt that I was swimming upstream all the time. Yeah. I didn't really have that, that time frame that you have to kind of sit back and look at the bigger picture sometimes. So,
1: yeah. I, and I love it. And I think, I think I'm good at it. So uh, I think that's, a, you know, I'm not good at everything, but again, I, I, I think I am, can be visionary and I'm pretty good at critical thinking. So that extra time to just think about things has been extremely valuable for me.
0: So how do you see a higher ed evolving over the next five to 10 years?
1: So Dave, how many, how many folks have you asked uh, this question to?
0: You we know, to I, I, I like to always ask that at the end, cause I'm always surprised um, first how you made a comment earlier, which is uh, COVID was terrible really heard a lot of stuff but it made it, it made everybody accelerate into some arenas mm-hmm. that they didn't know they were going to move to so fast mm-hmm. but but uh, most of them are a little concerned with you know just the unknown a lot mm-hmm. of them were just still how, how's this unknown going to happen in the next five to ten years but everybody seems to have a positive outlook on the next five to ten years
1: well and so um because you have probably heard a lot of answers i'm going to spend this question around on you dave so um let me, let me tell you what I'm afraid that we will become. Uh, we, we, w- we were forced into an environment. Now, keep in mind we're, uh, you can look at the scope of higher education and that's a lot of folks, right? So that's for profits, that's four-year universities, that's private four-year universities. Um, I'm gonna narrow the scope just to community colleges and what I'm worried about. Uh, as a community college, uh, we were forced to move into a remote environment. And the way that we're offering education is, is pretty cool because there's, there's a lot of variety now, right? So you can, uh, we're, we've opened up a bit in Pennsylvania. So there is some in-person instruction, of course, with masks and you know, social distancing and all that. But so in, in-person instruction is always going to be here. But we've, we have traditional online education. We have that, what, again, what we call synchronous uh, learning, synchronous teaching. So you can be in person, but maybe broadcast it out. So there, there's a lot of modalities that are sort of out there. Uh, what I worry about is that, that our students need a lot of attention and care and love, and um, I, I, I don't know if you remember this day, and I'm guessing, but probably 10 or 15 years ago, there was this whole push for developing first year experiences courses, right? We have all these students, their first year college students, they, they, they don't have a lot of support at home or they don't have that kind of mentorship at home. We need to help them transition to college. And so everybody was building these first year experience courses. And we were, when we were building ours at Sauk Valley Community College, we had a speaker come in and I still remember this, to the, to the, this expression to this day. He says, don't ever forget that, um, and now I'm down for getting the expression, <laughs> uh, students uh, don't do voluntary, right? That if you give them, if you give them the choice, uh, then they won't do it. So if you want, if you want to build a first year experience course and you want to say, oh yeah, it's out there for you. It's really going to help you. You know, it's like taking your vitamins. It's good for you. And you're going to be more successful in college. Most of them aren't going to take it. You have to pay for it. It's extra time, right? They're not gonna take it. So we mandated it. We mandated it. And what I'm afraid and what I'm hearing in, in some of my staff and some of my faculty is that, well, you know, this is this is a hybrid course and I don't care if they if they log on by Zoom or if they come in person. And I'm it makes my heart hurt a little bit mm-hmm. because if 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 Johnny wakes up five minutes before class and just flips on his computer, uh, and and tries to take a Zoom class from us, I don't think we're connecting with them, with, with Johnny as effectively as we should. And I'm really worried that Johnny won't be successful. He might've been successful if we could have brought him to campus because then he could have met with his advisor in person. He could have met you know a friendly person in the hallway. He could have gone to our cafeteria and had lunch and maybe he doesn't have food at home. Uh, so there's all these... These reasons that we want our students who are at risk to come to our campus. And I'm afraid that we're going to generate all of these options for students. uh, And they're going to take the easiest route, which is not to come to campus. So we've opened up. uh, It may be easier, more accessible in some ways, but their success, I think, is going to be compromised. And so I hope that's not what we we become. and I, and I feel like that's what I'm hearing. And I'm, I keep pushing back a bit that we, we need to make our students come to campus.
0: That's an excellent point. Uh, you know, so as you're talking about high flex courses that a student can choose to zoom in that day, come to class that day or, or take it you know, asyn- asynchronous. Um, I never thought about the, the, the mindset of students who basically sometimes do take the The easy route. I can say that because I was faculty. So you know, if I said, "Hey, you know, let's do this workbook and this will help you out," I never saw those workbooks back if I didn't give a grade to them. So that's 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 really. Thanks for reminding me that. That's a that's a very good point, Steve.
1: Yeah, you know, and and community colleges are so good at that. We don't need to lose our soul. You know, Uh, our students. uh, Do we wish our completion rates were comparable to a lot of four-year universities? Yes they don't have the same obstacles to overcome that we do at community colleges. So the the students that that we often serve have a lot more challenges. And and sometimes it's just out of our control. I, I get that. And I, and I recognize that, but, but there are so many students in my own history that I personally recognize that I made a personal connection with that, that I, you know, I think I helped them succeed because they didn't want to let me down. Right. They worked hard for me. And and the community, again, community colleges, we cannot lose our soul. And, and we need students on our campus. We need to connect with them. Uh, and we do a great job of it. And I just, I'm afraid that we can't do that virtually. So, anyway, I, I've already said that. But.
0: Well, Steve, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Yeah,
0: been very fun. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.